Well, we are in the book of John. And we are looking at the seven signs that uh, John has uh, written about in his, in his book. And uh, the purpose of these signs uh, through John's word is just to help us know more of who Jesus is. Uh, with each sign, he's pulling back the curtain more and more to show us Jesus' identity and his mission. And as the miracles, these seven signs progress, uh, they become bigger and bolder, declaring to us his glory and the fact that he is the Messiah. He is God the Son. And uh, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, John summarizes these seven signs. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So these miracles were not meant to entertain the masses, but these miracles gave authority and credibility to the ministry of Jesus. And so three weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' first miracle in Cana when he turned water into wine. When he turned that water into wine, he didn't go to the wine containers and have the servants fill the wine containers and turn that water into wine. No, he purposefully went to the stone jars of purification. There were six huge stone jars, and when people came to uh, this celebration, uh, they had to ceremonially uh, wash themselves, cleanse themselves on the outside, wash their hands, wash their feet, And when the wine ran out, Jesus told the servants to fill the purification jars to the rim. He purposefully used those because he's conveying to to us this morning that that was his mission. You know, these stone jars of purification, they just purified the outside of the body. But in Jesus' coming, he is going to do something altogether different. Not only is he going to cleanse the outside, but he's going to cleanse the inside. And the way he's going to uh, purify our lives is through his shed blood. And the wine represents his sacrifice, the sacrifice that he makes for us for our sin. And so John's beginning to peel back the, the identity, the mission of Jesus through this miracle. And uh, he turns the water into wine. You know, when the wine ran out, and that was, that was a terrible situation. That was not good. 
for for the um, the wedding party to have run out of wine, and so they were desperate. And uh, you know, the wine in the Bible. As you look at wine in the Bible, the wine represents joy. And so, um, when Jesus turned water into wine, he didn't just turn a little bit of water into wine. He turned 150 gallons of water into wine. More than enough telling us that when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, Jesus purifying us on the inside, you know what? That is a wine, that is a joy that is never going to run out. It is unending. So this is the, the first miracle we saw in John chapter 2. And when the disciples saw this, they believed, the Bible says in John, John chapter 2, verse 11. And when Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And then two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the second sign, the healing of the nobleman's son in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. And through this miracle, John is showing us the power of the spoken word in Jesus' life. Jesus wants us to take him at his word. People weren't taking Jesus at his word. They were wanting to be entertained by Jesus and his miracles. And in John chapter 4, you know the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he had the encounter of the Samaritan woman. And Jesus knew everything there was to know about her life. And she was overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. And, uh, and she took this good news back into her uh, community and told everybody about the Messiah that she had met. And so the whole town came out and Jesus interacted. Jesus uh, spent two days in Samaria speaking to the people. And Jesus didn't do one miracle. But the people believed what Jesus had to say. And they came to the conclusion, they realized that Jesus was the Messiah. Not just their Messiah, but they said that Jesus was the Messiah of the world. And so with that encounter, with that experience, now Jesus is going back to Cana. And he's not going to have the same reception with uh, the Jews that he had with the Samaritans because they were just in it for the miracles. They wanted to spend time with, with Jesus because they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next. And so um, as he's there in Cana, there is this nobleman who has uh, come from Capernaum. He's probably been working in Herod's coat, uh, uh, court. He's a person of influence. He's a person of, of uh, wealth. But he is desperate because his son is sick. And he doesn't know what else to do. But he has heard that Jesus can heal people. And so in desperation, he comes and he begs Jesus to go back with him to Capernaum 
to heal his son. Because in his heart, he thinks that Jesus needs to touch his son. Jesus doesn't go back to Capernaum. Jesus could have. This was a great opportunity for Jesus to go to an area of influence where Herod was and to show people his power. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus merely spoke the world word and said, your son is made well. Your son is healed. And the father went back home the next day. Uh, servants came to the nobleman telling him that his son had been made well. And the father asked, when was he made well? He said, at this such and such a time. And the dad said, that is the exact time that Jesus told me that my son was made well. The power of Jesus' spoken word. In John chapter 1, The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. And in Jesus' Word, there is power. Jesus has the words of life. In him, the Bible says in verse 4, is life. You know, Jesus asked his disciples when the the masses were leaving uh, Jesus in um, John chapter 6, and he asked the disciples the question, do you want to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So again, John is pulling back the curtain and showing us that Jesus is the word that was made blessed. Jesus is God in the beginning. So sign number one is Jesus is the ultimate purifier. Uh, His shed blood, the wine, takes away all of our sin. And number two, that Jesus' word is true and life is found in him. Life is healed when we take Jesus at his word. So those are the first two signs. Now we come to sign number three uh, in chapter five. And I'm going to begin by reading verses one through nine. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. 
And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And I want to stop right there for a moment. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's going through the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate is north of the temple. And as he goes through the, t- the Sheep Gate, there is a pool of water. And it's the pool of Bethesda. It's actually two pools of water. And uh, this is a very sad picture. Because the only people who are hanging out by this pool are invalids. Bible describes them as blind, lame, and paralyzed. And these are people, and the Bible describes it as a multitude. Okay? Not just a few people, but a multitude. And they're lying there, and they're lying there waiting for the pool of water to be stirred. These people are desperate and their only hope is trying to get into that pool of water that might heal them now it's interesting as i read that text this morning if you have a uh, uh, an nas uh, in your nas new american standard bible you have a verse four i was reading from the english standard version uh, the English Standard Version uh, doesn't include verse 4. And uh, you might be wondering why. Well, verse 4 was... Uh, <clears throat> there, are, um, there are earlier... The earliest manuscripts of John's book does not contain verse 4. Uh, and, but some of the later manuscripts do include... Verse 4. And scholars tell us that verse 4 was probably most likely added at a later date to explain verse 7. So I'm going to read from the New American Standard verse 4 um, that's not in the ESV. Well, let me just start with verse 3. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, There are some commentators who would say that uh, this story, this particular story in verse 3 and verse 7, is legend. It's superstitious. Most likely people weren't healed who stepped into the water. Now, when you hear the invalid describe what is happening in verse 7, that doesn't mean his words are authoritative. That that actually happened. Did it happen? Maybe, maybe not. But as Jesus has come into uh, this pool of Bethesda, 
and have, have been seeing all these people who are broken and without hope, Jesus has compassion. The Bible says in verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Jesus walks into this place. He sees the multitude, but he gravitates himself to one person in particular. A person who's been an invalid, crippled, paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus knew everything there was to know about him. Jesus saw his need. I want you to see the compassion of Jesus this morning for this one man. Jesus sees him. If you're here this morning, if you're broken, if you're without hope, I want to encourage you to allow this text, this passage passage to speak to you because Jesus sees you this morning. Last um, last Saturday, I had the opportunity to uh, take uh, uh, Howard Naslin and his uh, grandsons and son-in-law to uh, June Lake to go fishing. And um, fishing was rather slow last Saturday. We did catch some, but uh, they were few and far between. Before lunchtime, we had caught Two fish. Nothing to brag about. Not like the fish I caught a few weeks earlier than that. Uh, and so it was lunchtime and we were hungry. And so uh, we got off the boat and, and had lunch. And uh, was going to fish a little bit more until uh, before the kid boys were going to be able to swim on the beach. And uh, while we were fishing after lunch, I noticed a fish, a trout, floating belly up, passing my, you know, the boat was passing this fish. And uh, I think Ian said, check our stringer, see if that's our fish. And lo and behold, we only had two fish, and one had gotten off the stringer. And so, you know what, we couldn't let that fish go. And I said, reel your lines in, let's go back and get that fish. It wasn't 30 seconds later not even three seconds, that a big old mama bald eagle came in, swooped down, and stole our fish. You know, everybody else on the boat were saying, wow, that's so cool. And I said, no, it's not. He took our fish. But you know what? As we were fishing on that lake, We had never seen that eagle all day. But while we were fishing, that eagle was watching us. An eagle eye. And when he saw his opportunity, he took advantage of it. 
I want you to know that Jesus has better eyes than that bald eagle. Jesus sees and Jesus knows and Jesus has compassion. And so he goes up to this one individual and he asks the question, do you want to be healed? And the sick man says this, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. He didn't even answer Jesus' question. He was just talking about his hopelessness. That there's no one to help him. He'd lost all hope. And he didn't know who was standing before him and asking him the question, do you want to be healed? So on with that verse. And Jesus said to him, and not even saying yes, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus did for this man what this man could not do for himself. You know that verse, God helps those who help themselves? People like to quote it, but it's not in the Bible. No, God helps those who can't help themselves. There was nothing this man could do to get himself into that pool. And other people, other invalids, other people who were crippled and and hurting were a lot. And he had been witnessing this for 38 years. And I want you to see the sovereign grace of God. I mean, this is pure grace here. This man isn't even demonstrating faith in thinking that he he doesn't know that it's Jesus. And yet Jesus had compassion for him and wants to heal this individual. The pure grace of God. This invalid is a picture of everyone's salvation, church. We aren't saved by what we can do for ourselves. Our salvation only comes through what Jesus has done for us that we could never do. We've been through the book of Colossians, but let me remind you of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. 
Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled out the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. This man's only hope was Jesus and what Jesus could do for him. And church, this is the picture of our salvation. We are saved not because of our good works, because we've cleaned ourselves up. No, we are here this morning based purely on the grace of God that he has shown us. Now, we could get into a whole different conversation on this text as to why Jesus didn't go to the rest of the multitude in this story. We don't know. Maybe he went back later. Maybe he used the invalid to go back and tell uh, those that he spent all these years with what Jesus did in his life. But Jesus showed grace to this person when in a moment he was not displaying any faith. The Bible isn't about what we can do for God. The Bible primarily is about what God has already done for us. Only Jesus could make this invalid whole. Only Jesus can make us whole. Do you want to be healed? In other words, are you, Jesus is asking, are you willing to trust me with your wholeness? And then Jesus commands the invalid. Three things he says. Number one, he says, get up. Get up literally means arise. And what Jesus is telling us in this miracle this morning is that Jesus has resurrection power. His words have resurrection power. That word get up or arise is the same verb that's used in verse 21. Go to verse chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Again, John's pulling back the curtain. Jesus has resurrection power. Just as God the Father has resurrection power, Jesus has that same power. And then the next thing he says to to this invalid, take up your bed. It's not an accident that Jesus said, take up your bed. Look at verse 9. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day 
was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. When Jesus, when the, Jesus said, Arise, take up your bed and walk, the man got up. A healing had taken place in his body. And then the Bible says he took up his bed. Jesus knew exactly what he was instructing this man to do. It was the Sabbath. And according to Sabbath law, you were not to carry any kind of burden whatsoever on the Sabbath. And here this man is with his bed, and he's going to be carrying his bed for all the Pharisees to see. And Jesus is making a point here. The man doesn't know it in in this At this moment, but as you continue to read the text, we learn that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's asking this man to break a Sabbath law. Now, it's not God's law. He's asking this man to break man's law. Yes, the Bible says that we are to rest on Sabbath. We see that uh, in Genesis chapter 1. After God had created Jesus, who is the creator of the universe, after he had created those six days, he rested from his creation on the seventh day. And in resting... In God giving us the Sabbath, he he gave us the Sabbath that the Sabbath might be a blessing in our life. It might be restorative, that we could just uh, um, reflect, take that seventh day and reflect on who God is in our life and rest. That was a blessing from God. But the Pharisees had turned it in to a burden. When the Bible says in the Old Testament to not carry a burden, well, the Pharisees wanted to define what a burden was. You know, God intended a burden to uh, to mean to not use the Sabbath as a means to uh, make a, earn a living on the seventh day. But the Pharisees made it so much more. Uh, and a burden was uh, one of, well, when it came to the, the Sabbath, there were 39 different categories of what a burden was. And uh, one of them was you weren't even allowed to carry a handkerchief outside your house in public. And so here these Pharisees are seeing this uh, man who has been healed. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, and he's carrying his bed. So let's, let, I've read through verse 9. Let me now read uh, verses 10 through 18. Because uh, Jesus has done this on purpose. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. 
And then it's not lawful for you to take your bed. But he answered them, the invalid. The man healed me, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen, may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself God, his own father, making himself equal with God. Through this healing, Jesus is demonstrating that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as we continue to walk through the the book of John, we're going to learn that Jesus, Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. No longer does man have to be doing things to earn or gain or keep God's approval. No, it's simply by faith and trusting all that Jesus has done for us that we can rest in him. Our identity, who we are, is in Christ. Christ is in us, and we can rest from our religious labors. These religious people were angry in seeing this man carrying his bed, bearing a burden. This man had been crippled for 38 years, and they give no acknowledge, they make no acknowledgement that he has been healed. No, all they're concerned about is he is breaking Sabbath law. Religious formalism blinds us to real human need. Arthur Pink said that in his commentary. Religious formalism blinds us to real human need. Jesus healed this man. He showed grace. He showed mercy on the Sabbath. And that is an example for you and I to follow. When it comes to Sabbath rest, yes, God rested from creation, but God didn't stop doing good things. Look what the Bible says. Look what Jesus says in verse 17. But Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. If you see somebody else hurting on the Sabbath, Jesus wants you to show mercy and grace to whoever is in need. That is not an excuse to walk on by. No. 
Jesus showed grace and mercy on the Sabbath because that's what God would do. God doesn't rest from those things. And God doesn't want us to rest from those things as well. God meant for the Sabbath to be a blessing and not a burden. Jesus desires mercy and not sacrifice when it comes to worshiping him. The temple in John chapter 2 had become a house of commercial business. It stopped being a house of prayer and worship. People were just merely making money. And the pool of Bethesda means house of mercy. And Jesus, the God of the universe, demonstrated his mercy in the house of mercy. And God in church, God wants us to show that same grace and mercy to those around us. When you encounter someone who has a handicap, are you drawn to those individuals, that person, to see how they are, get to know their name, what's happening in their life, or do you kind of avoid them? Jesus purposefully went to the pool of Bethesda because he knew there was going to be a multitude of invalids. And he wanted to help somebody. Now the question is, why didn't he help everyone? Possibly if he had helped everyone, he would have created a huge scene. And that would have been disruptive to his mission at the time. But as we walk through the Old Test- the New Testament and the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. He could have healed everybody, but he doesn't heal everybody. I don't know why. I don't know why he chose some over others. But again, this is a picture of, of our salvation. And instead of getting caught up into, well, Jesus, why didn't you heal them? We should just be consumed by the grace and mercy that God has shown me, you, because none of us deserved it. Nobody deserves it. It's only the grace of God. And then we go back to verse 8. Jesus told the man to get up, take up your bed. Third, he said, walk. Walk. In other words, walk in obedience. Go to verse 14 of John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. 
this man had an encounter with the Pharisees, and he was on his way to the temple, obviously overwhelmed with what God had done in his life, and so he was wanting to show his healing to the priests at the temple, what he was supposed to do, a temple that he hadn't been at in 38 years. So I'm sure he was really excited in going there. And in going there, Jesus finds him, and he says, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So he tells the man to walk, and he then tells the man to sin no more, which indicates to us that a healing is to lead to holiness. Had Jesus just healed the man and not saved this individual, Jesus would have done this man a huge disservice. Yes, he may be healed for the remainder of his life, but he would spend all of eternity separated from God because of his sin. Jesus didn't come into the world just heal. He came into the world to remove us, remove our sin from us, to take us to break the bondage of sin that laid hold of our lives. This is Jesus' calling. This is Jesus coming into our life. And so Jesus tracks the man down, and he says, sin no more. And he's not calling the man to sinless perfection. Nobody can live perfect lives. And Jesus demonstrated that through his prayer in uh, the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We are going to sin. So Jesus isn't calling this man to sinless perfection. But what Jesus is saying here is, I have healed you so that you don't have to do evil anymore. You have the ability to say yes to God and no to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Sin no more. And church, that is an important word to us today. Because how many of us try to convince ourselves, well, Jesus has forgiven me of all of my sin, past, present, and future. So I can just go on and I can just live my own selfish lifestyle, maintain my own pet sins, because God has already forgiven me. And that is a dangerous thing to convince yourself of. Sin hurts. Sin separates. Sin destroys. And what God is telling this man whom he healed and what he's telling us, he's saying, walk, sin no more, live in response to the mercy of the perfect Savior. God has done this in your life. Now live accordingly. 
Be overwhelmed with the grace of God in your life. Grow in this grace and live accordingly. Jesus came and died for our sins. So that we might be set free. Are you sinning no more? Number one, has Jesus healed you? Jesus knows everything there is about you. He knows your hurts. He knows your brokenness. And here Jesus asks you this morning, do you want to be healed? Jesus has the words of life. His words are the words of eternal life. His words are the words that can set you free. And it is only Jesus' words. There's nowhere else we can go. It's the word of God that can give life to our spirit, to our soul, that can help us walk. Do you want to be healed? Let's pray. Father, I don't know the circumstances of people in this room this morning. But I thank you for this miracle. I thank you for the grace that you showed this individual and when this individual didn't deserve it. He didn't even know who was standing before him. And even after he was healed, he still didn't know it was you, Jesus. But God, you healed this this man after 38 years of misery. You set him free. Not only on the outside, but on the inside. God, you are still doing that miracle today as people choose to believe your word. Oh, they may not be paralyzed or crippled on the outside, but they're bound up in sin on the inside. And Jesus, you came to heal them. When you came to heal me. And I thank you for your daily forgiveness because none of us are perfect here. And we constantly need to be asking your forgiveness, living a life of repentance. Jesus, help us to walk in holiness. People who are full of mercy and grace and truth and humility, just like you are, Jesus. Bless this time of invitation, of worship. 
as we sing about your blood that we are not ashamed of because it's only your blood that washes away our sin. And we thank you. Would you stand with me, please?